evening, everybody. As we were singing that um, song this evening, I felt um, for us as a church, it's very, very easy. Can you hear me? All right. Uh, my, just my sense is as we were singing that song this evening that there is a time for us as God's people to, to kind of make a declaration and to stand on something. That song we've been singing, Great is Your Faithfulness, that's super easy to say until things go wrong, isn't it? And, and, and there are times when we stand on God's promises and we hold on to what God says right in the middle of it going wrong. Because we don't decide on who God is and what God is like by what we're going through. We decide that because of what God has said. And sometimes God allows us to go through things where we need to stand and we need to say, God, you are faithful to every word you've spoken. Because that's what he promises he says, I am faithful. I'm, I'm God. I'm not a man that I should lie. And so I want us just to do something before I get into, into the message tonight. And I want to invite you, if you would like to tonight, because I want us just to stand together and I want to lead us in prayer where we just declare God's faithfulness again tonight. And if you want to be part of that and you'd like to do that, I want to, to encourage you, especially if you're going through some difficult circumstances. You say, God, I'm standing tonight because I'm standing on your faithfulness. I'm trusting in your word. I believe what you've said. And there are places that we really need to do that. So you're invited if you'd like to. If you want to stand and just honor God in that way, make a declaration by standing and saying, God, we recognize your faithfulness. We declare that you are faithful to every word that you have spoken. Father, we're standing here tonight because we want to entrench in our own hearts and minds that truth. Because, Lord, we want to say to you again tonight, God, we as your church believe in your faithfulness. Lord, that you honor and you stand by every word that you have spoken. Father, we will not decide that by what's going on in our lives. We decide that because we believe that you are faithful and that you are true to every word that you have spoken to us. Father, we want to resist the lies of the enemy tonight. And sometimes, Lord, you know we're facing an onslaught of lies and deception from the enemy. And Lord, we want to stand against that tonight to resist the devil. And to stand firm on the truth of your word. To put on the full armor of God. To be strong in the Lord. And to recognize and confess your faithfulness tonight. I pray God, will you be glorified in the way that we respond and trust you during the week that lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.
So some of you will know from last week, we're, we're in a short series, which we've called It All Adds Up, and uh, it's a series on money. And, uh, but what I want us to look at tonight is a very interesting phenomenon um, that was taking place uh, in some of the churches that Paul was ministering to. And, it, and, and, and these were churches, he called them the Macedonian churches. Now, you may have no clue what he means by the Macedonian churches. Have some of you read Philippians? Have some of you read Thessalonians? Those are two of the churches that he would have called the Macedonian churches. And so he speaks about these Macedonian churches uh, because they'd started to uh, exhibit incredible levels of generosity. And, and they were in, in generosity with their finances, but what was interesting to him is the way in which they were giving was unrelated to how much they had. These are the kind of people that make you, you really worried. These are the kinds of people that make you very nervous. These are the people saying, well, well, God has prompted me and God has led me to be super generous and I know it's going to be sacrificial and I know it's going to be costly and I'm not even sure how I'm going to make it through the month, but I believe God wants me to be generous in this way. That's what he's talking about over here. It sometimes seems like these people are a bit reckless. It sometimes seems like these people are a little bit irresponsible in what they're doing with their money. That's why I said they make us uncomfortable. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul points out that these people were not being reckless, and they weren't being irresponsible at all. What was happening, he says, is that there was an evidence in their life, because of what they were doing, of an incredible grace to give that was happening in those churches. There, there was a shift that had taken place, if I can use that word, where poverty and hardship were not deciding and the determining factor in what people were doing with their money. These people had a very different approach to giving. Their priority was to put God first, and they wanted to be a blessing to other people who were less fortunate than themselves. The fact that they were facing hardships and were needy themselves was not holding them back from being generous. I want to tell you something about these churches. These churches were living under the oppressive rule of Rome at that stage. And in the area in which those churches were found, there were gold and silver mines. But because the Romans wanted the wealth of those mines, they took them over. And so people were deprived of earning an income through that. There were high taxes. Food was hugely expensive. And so people were in incredible poverty. In fact, the word that's used in the Bible over here, you couldn't get poorer than, than these churches in Macedonia. That, that's what he's describing. And he's saying, here were incredibly poor people who were being unbelievably generous. Paul says nobody was trying to manipulate them. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with all of those stories how Christians sometimes get manipulated by giving. All these kind of promises, if you give this, then God will do that. Well, Paul wasn't into that at all. He says these people weren't giving because they were being manipulated. And, and, and what made their generosity so compelling 
was their whole attitude to giving. They said, it's a privilege to give. It's an honor to give. We want to be a blessing to other people. It's like, huh? Surely you're the kind of people who are saying, you need to be giving to us. You need to be supporting us. Look how poor we, we are. And in, instead, the reverse is happening. They're saying, Paul, we want to give. We want to be part of helping the church in Jerusalem. We see how our brothers and sisters are struggling, and we know that we're struggling, but we really want to be generous, and we want to try and help them. And Paul highlights what was happening in these Macedonian churches because it was impacting his own life so much. He couldn't believe what he was seeing over there. And you know, to me, this, and we'll read it in a minute, this, this portion of Scripture that talks about the Macedonian churches shows us what happens when Christians put God first. And, and, and I hope you understand what I mean when I talk about the culture of the kingdom. When the culture of God's kingdom begins to transcend out the culture in which we live, the culture of this world. Where, where God's ways become way more important than, than our ways and what we are used to. And there's, there's a willingness to be generous with, without trying to figure out whether that makes sense or not. That's what was happening. And I want us to read it together from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers... And this is what Paul wants to land on, what he wants to emphasize. We want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. That's what he's going to talk about. I want to tell you about the grace to be generous that God gave to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, these were people facing hardship. Their overflowing joy and their extreme, not just poverty, extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. In other words, nobody tried to twist their arm. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. Listen to that. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they, they didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so we urged Titus. Remember Paul is talking about the example in the Macedonian church, but he's writing to the Corinthians about their giving. So he says, we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. In other words, your giving, as you participate in this giving as well. He goes on to say, just as you excel in everything, because the Corinthians excelled in a number of things, faith, speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know, 
And here he uses the example and the model of Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Do you know the word for poor that's being used? When he says Jesus became poor, he's using exactly the same word he was using for the, the Macedonians. Their abject poverty. He's saying Jesus became as poor as they were in a sense of giving up everything when he went to the cross. He became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Now, when we talk about Christians being generous with their money, and this is hugely important, it's got nothing to do with how much they give. You see, whenever we talk about being generous, we always think about how much. You know, if you get... If you give 50 rand, well, that's kind of just making it. If you give me 1,000 rand, that's being really generous because it's about how much. But when Paul talks about the generosity of the Macedonians, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what their walk with God is like. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about their attitude to money. He's talking about how much they care about the plight of other people and the hardships of other people. He's talking about their refusal to be caught up with a very secular approach to money. That's what he means when he talks about them being generous. So when, when he describes the rich generosity of the Macedonian churches, these are the kinds of things that he's highlighting. Let me read it to you again. Out of their most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Notice what he goes on to say. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they pleaded us for for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. You see, when it comes to money, we have to keep reminding ourselves that the economy of the kingdom is very different to the economy of The Macedonians show us what giving can be like when we are free from a secular or a worldly approach to money. And the power that money can exercise over our lives. Let me remind you, Christianity does not just mean we include God in what we are doing. Christianity means that God is central to what we do. You notice the difference? I'm not just making God part of my life. God is the center of my life. He is the one that defines and determines what I'm doing. Not my culture and not myself. Remember those those words that Paul wrote to the Colossian church, for he has rescued you. God rescued me from the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us from the control of this kingdom of darkness, and He's brought us into another kingdom. Friends, we are no longer captives to another, the old kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Now, the Bible has a whole lot to say about the culture of the kingdom and money, which I think is a very freeing thing to go back to. And I want to just touch on a few of those aspects of the, the culture of the kingdom and money. Because I think it has great relevance to to what is happening over here in the Macedonian churches. See, in the kingdom, 
the followers of Jesus refused to allow money to have power over them. Do you know that money can have power over you? It, Jesus, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember this in Matthew chapter 6, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. I look around, even at my own life, and I see we are storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, and we've got all of our reasons for it. But he goes on a little bit later, I think it's uh, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on to say, and no one can serve two masters. What is he talking about? He's talking about God and money. Because you either love the one or hate the other or despise the one and be devoted to the other. Jesus was concerned about money having power over us. And I believe money can become quite an idol without us even being aware of it. Another part of the culture of the kingdom is in the kingdom, God's people recognize that God is the, their provider. I speak to so many people who say to me, that's my money because I work for it. Like, I own it. You might have worked for it, but let me tell you, unless it was for God's grace, you wouldn't have earned it. That's why Jesus has said, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And then he adds, for the pagans, this is unbelievers, those, who, those who peep, people who do not have a relation, the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and these things. What is he talking about? These things. The needs of life will be added to you. And isn't it true to say that the way we use our money is often an indication of where, what we believe, who we believe is our provider? In the kingdom, people are sensitive to, they're alert to how God wants them to use their money. Now, people who, who are praying about these things. In chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly. And Paul gives us a very helpful instruction over here. He says, before the Lord, you decide how much you're going to give. You don't need me to twist your arm. You don't need the church to beg you for your money. You decide before the Lord what you're going to do with your money. Do you know why? Because one day you're going to have to give an account to Him for what you've done with your money. You're not going to have to give an account to me. But I'm going to need to stand before the Lord, and you're going to need to stand before the Lord, and He's going to say, John, but I blessed you with this, and look what I did for you over here. And why have you, why have you been like that with what I gave you? I, put, I wrote this when I was writing this and, and putting this together. There were, this is the phrase that came to me. In the kingdom, people consider the needs of others as something important, and I thought that's way too weak. In the kingdom, people consider the needs of others a responsibility. Is a better way to put it. 
we have a responsibility. One of the core values of Christianity is love. And love is always expressed, or is always expressed by what we do. Love isn't a feeling we get. I know that we want to feel loving. But love in, in Christian circles, love is expressed by what we do. If anyone, as John says, has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's a question you ask. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions and in truth. And the last thing I want to say about the culture of the kingdom, and this is been quite a yeah, strong one for me. In the kingdom, people do away with what I want to call percentage giving. That means I give 10%. Some people don't even know about that. But, but I, I want to tell you why I'm saying that. Because it goes like this. I've given my 10%. I don't need to bother with anything else. I've done my bit for God. Friends, we've never done our bit for God. We live by the Spirit. We're alert to the Spirit. There isn't a thing, well, God, I've done a little bit financially now. I don't need to worry about the needs of other people. I don't need to worry about somebody else's battling or the church is going through a hard time. I've done my bit. It's over. I'll never forget some years ago <laughs> reaching a sermon on, on giving and talking to people about you need to give us as, as you feel the Lord has led you. And somebody came up to me after church and said, you know what, John, I loved your sermon. I feel I'm giving too much to the church. I'm going to cut back. I thought, okay, well, that's one that didn't go down so well for me. But then Paul makes another interesting observation about generosity and about the generosity of the Macedonians. He, said, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves to God first. They did not do as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. In other words, their generosity was the result of them putting God first in their lives, of obeying God's instructions, of avoiding this trap. I'm going to put myself first. We're living in a generation that people put themselves first all the time. It's always about me. My feelings, what I want. I think that's something we've got to take a stand against and be intentional about. Because Christianity is always about putting God first, not ourselves. Why can I just say that again? Christianity is about putting God first, not ourselves. Seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6. And you know, when we give ourselves to God first, to the control of the Holy Spirit, we, we see how people become incredibly generous when they do that. I've been in, in ministry for, for quite a long time now. And I've just seen how that happens over and over and over again amongst God's people. I've seen people in the, in the church, they, they've come up to me and they've said, you know, we, we're wanting to get a new car, but we, we, we feel we don't want to trade our other car and we'd like to give it to somebody else because we can see there are other needy people who are not as blessed as we are. So, Pastor, can you find out who needs a car and can you make sure they get it because they didn't want the person to know who was giving it. 
And then you look at the car and you see it's got some holes in the bodywork of rust and, and the engine's not so great. And you go to one of the panel beaters in the church and they fix it for nothing. And the mechanic says, give me the car. I'll get it going nicely. And you drive up to somebody's home and you say, God has blessed you with a motor car. I did that one day. It was a lady that used to worship at our church. Her husband didn't want anything to do with the Lord. I want to tell you the next Sunday was in church. And he saw the goodness of God to them as a family and as a couple. I've seen people be generous when it comes to ministry. You know, I started off in ministry being a youth pastor of a church, like you, Rolf. Come on, yeah. It was about five years ago I was a youth pastor in a church. But I remember this. I, by the way, I got a bit rebuked about this this morning because I said an old lady of 70 years old gave me a call and somebody said to me this morning, that's not old. You can guess what generation and which service they came to in the church. But this lady phoned me up and she said, John, I want to see you. And I came to see her and she said, will you please tell me what is your vision for youth ministry in this church? And so I spent the next hour telling her about the vision that we had for youth ministry in the church. She said, how much is it going to cost? So I went home and I figured out what we wanted to get and what we needed to be able to make that happen. And I went back and visited her and I said, uh, this is how much money it's going to cost us. She said, you'll have the money in the bank by the end of the month. And today I look back and I see young person after young person who gave their lives to Christ because one person was sensitive to the Lord and generous with their money. Isn't that awesome? They wanted to invest in the kingdom. Guys, in the, in the terrible days of apartheid, Terry and I, my wife, we were, we were part of a, a, a Christian team that was traveling around the country. And, and some of the ministry we did, we went into the townships to go and minister to the believers in the townships. And when we were in the townships, we lived there amongst the people. And, and I remember we were going to stay with, with a particular family. They had a one-bedroom house. And when we arrived over there at their door, they said, we want to bring your luggage in. We, you, here's your bedroom. We said, but this is your bedroom. They've only got one bedroom. And they said, we're moving out so that you can have the bedroom. And then I discovered that they'd spent the majority of their income on buying groceries so that we could eat well while we were staying with them. And I thought, here's generosity. The poorest of the poor wanted to be a blessing. That's what Paul's talking about, people putting God first. That's what he's describing over here. You know, there are a lot of views about the early church and what happened in the early church. And people say, well, you, you, we can't be like the early church. That was an unusual time in history and all of those kind of things. But can you imagine being part of a church and somebody writes about your church and says there were no needy people among them? Wouldn't that be awesome? You guys don't seem excited about that. I mean, I think that's like amazing. That people were willing to be that generous. And the Bible tells us people were actually selling their homes. That means a house that you own in Bergfleet. Or your place in Gordon's Bay that you go for weekends. People were actually doing that. 
because they put God first and they had a heart for the needs of other people. That was, I mean, that to me is awesome church, guys. There's another aspect that Paul is, is reinforcing when he writes about the, the Macedonian church. And it's simply this, that our giving, our financial giving is a decision you and I must make before the Lord. I said this earlier on, but, but Paul is against trying to manipulate people to give. Friends, I want to say to you tonight, my sermon is not here to try and twist your arms to give, but to teach you about the, the, the kingdom of God. That we would be people of the kingdom as God intended us to be. You see, in the kingdom... People give because they want to see the gospel advanced, like that lady I was telling you about. People give because they are concerned for one another. People give because they're part of another kingdom. That's why we do what we do. We don't do it because some oak up front is promising you some money, a lot of money that you're going to get because you give. You give for those reasons. We give for those reasons. Paul is saying the Macedonian church gave in their poverty. They were generous. Now he writes to the Corinthians and said, guys, you've also got a part to play. And the Corinthian church was way more wealthy than, than the Macedonian church. And he says, they gave, and look how generous they be. Now I want to see how, much, how serious you are about your love and concern for other people. Make sure that you give as well. Says our desires not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but they, that there might be equality. That word equality means there'll be fairness, that you'll play your part. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. You, you are wealthy financially and you can help them. They are wealthy spiritually and they can be a blessing to you. That's what he's saying. We are all meant to help where we can, as we are able, according to our means. But at the end of the day, it's our attitude to giving that really counts. Do you notice that? Verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. One day when I stand before God, he's not going to say, well, John, Yo, he gave 500 bucks here. I'm quite impressed, you know. Yo, over here, man, I'm like, this is big. You gave 2,000 rand. I'm really impressed with that. No, he's not. I said, I want to look at what was going on in your heart when you gave that. See, God's way more concerned about what's going on in our hearts than how much money we're putting on the table. Ananias and Sapphira fell into that trap. And look what happened to them. It wasn't a good ending. My, the, my purpose in sharing this with you tonight is that I want you to see there are times when God's grace does something unusual in the church. This was something very unusual that was taking place. There are times where God gives us a grace to be generous that goes beyond our understanding. That's what was happening over here. And it wasn't about the amount of money that they had. 
It is, was about what was going on in their hearts. These people really wanted to help. These people were really concerned about the poor. These people really had a heart for their brothers and sisters who were struggling. That's what God admires. And that's where grace comes in. You see, I can't be that kind of person without God's grace. Basically, on my own, I'm quite selfish. I just need to tell you right up front. But when God's grace is at work in my heart, I become different. You become different. And I, I just, when I was preparing this, I, the question I was asking myself is, what is God doing in Connect Church today? Is God wanting to free us up as people that we can be like the Macedonians? Remember, he wasn't talking about one person that was doing this. He was talking about a whole group of churches that were becoming generous like this. All in the same boat, all struggling, all going through hardship. And yet, there was this phenomenal grace to give. And I just had a sense when I, when I was praying, there are many things that we, we're really trying to do and reach out and where we're trying to help people and help the needies and partner with needy churches and all kinds of things like that. Maybe God is saying, I want to release a grace amongst you like that. Would you be willing to be part of that? Would you be willing to have that kind of grace at work in your life? Where we stop adding up and we say, God, if you're saying it, I'm going to do it. I was listening to uh, a guy sharing about uh, something that they were, had been asked to contribute to in their church. And he said, when the, just before the, the offering was taken up, he said, uh, and this was in another country, he said, um, I took out my checkbook, and they used checks there, not like us. And he said, I wrote out the amount. And he said, when I sit, sat down, God said, it's not enough. So I said, okay, tore it up, wrote down another amount. God said, it's not enough. He said, then I wrote down another. He said, now by now I've torn up three checks. We're into our holiday savings already. And he said, eventually I had peace. And I'd given according to what God wanted. And then he goes on to share how God just wonderfully provided for him because he'd given it all away. Because the Lord had said so. So let's pray together. I'm aware that whenever a message like this is preached, all kinds of responses begin to well up in our hearts and our minds. Sometimes people can be quite fearful. And they can be quite fearful because they've been through such a hard time financially. And they can totally identify with the Macedonians and say, like, John, you've got no clue of what I've been walking you know what? God isn't concerned so much about the money, but how fear can keep us in bondage and can trap us. That's the problem. Fear can do that. 
There are other times we, we can get caught up in our own worlds, our own dreams, our own desires, and our own affluence. God says you need to be free of that stuff as well. That's not what my kingdom is like. My kingdom people are different. There's a different economy. And I do things differently. I really want to pray tonight that, and obviously I'm not going to ask you to stand up or anything like that. But if there's somebody that's where you, you're in fear about this, I want to pray tonight the Lord release you from your fear and God deliver you from that. There's somebody saying, maybe tonight, well, I'm not interested in that stuff. I pray that the Lord will open your heart up. And I pray that the Lord will give you such a deep care and compassion for others. A longing to pour your life into what really counts. That's the gospel and what God is doing in the world through the church. You know what I've discovered? God hasn't got a, sec a plan B. Plan A is his only plan. It's called the church. That's you and me. And so that's why God counts on us being obedient to him and putting him first. And so I pray that there might be a grace amongst us at Connect Church, a grace as there was in the Macedonian church. I want to pray that God is going to release us from anything that's holding us back. That we'd be in not just one or two, but that right through the church, there would just come a freedom. There would be what happened to the Macedonians, a desire to say, Lord, I want to do that. Don't stop me from doing that. I want to honor God with everything that I've got. I don't want to hold back on, on my life for God. Friends, we had enough people holding back and holding on. It's time that we let go and say, God, it's all for you. And as we heard last night, I'm putting my, my life on the altar. Living sacrifice, it's called. We want to be those kinds of people in the day that we live in. Because maybe God is birthing something in Connect Church that will be for His glory in this space. And so God, I pray for the outpouring of Your grace upon us. In Jesus' name, Amen.